My name is Randy Stotts, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. On Shriver. Snyder with scores! Now it's what what else? scores! Hands off for Rabel, switches hands and scores! Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, together we're bringing you interviews with your favorite players and coaches, as well as news from all four professional lacrosse leagues. Welcome to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk, and Happy New Year's! This is our first episode of the new year. Uh, we hope you guys all had a wonderful holiday season, and we're looking forward to crushing it in 2020. Adam, how's it going? I'm good, man. Rested, relaxed. Got to spend some time with the fam down in Philly. Um, obviously, with uh, Maddie's family here in Baltimore as well. Saw some friends from high school and some friends from college. So got got to see everyone I wanted to and got to relax, ready to take on 2020 at work and with PLT. Yeah, no, me too. I, I had a good holiday break. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited about 2020. We had a good 2019. Um, I'm looking forward to you know continuing the success and uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm just excited to you know hit the ground running in 2020. We want to you know thank everybody too that's been supporting us along the way. Uh, but with that being said, we had a ton of fantastic games this past weekend. Some good and some bad from some of these teams. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But before we do that, let's uh, recap these scores and start off with our fast break. So on Friday, we had two contests in Game 1. The Black Wolves defeated the Riptide 21-11, and the Roughnecks bounced back from their close loss in Week 4 to defeat the Seals in San Diego 16-11. We had a full slate of games on Saturday that began with the Rock defeating the Nighthawks 14-11 in a closer contest than most expected. The Mammoth beat the Swarm 13-11. The Thunderbirds beat the Bandits in Banditland 15-10. The Riptide lost their second game of the weekend, 11-4 against Saskatchewan, making them still winless on the season. And in the last game on Saturday night, did not disappoint as Matt Rambo netted a buzzer beater to help the Wings defeat Calgary 8-7. And in Sunday's lone contest, the Seals bounced back on a quick turnaround to defeat the Warriors 11-10. So that's your fast break. Now let's hit our quick stick and recap some of the news from around the leagues. Yeah, Adam, for our quick stick, we really only had one major piece of news, and that was the announcement of the new PLL team being the Water Dogs. Um, It ended up being exactly what was leaked. It's that lavender purple that a lot of people seem to be excited about. Um, I have my own thoughts, but let's start with you, Adam. I know you've been itching to have the Water Dogs be the name, and you kind of get your wish here. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm I'm excited, man. You know, we were curious for a while whether that leaked image um, was going to be the actual Water Dogs logo. And, you know, I I will say um, because of the graininess of that image initially, I was kind of nervous about the color scheme. Um, But we were talking off pod a little bit. I'm excited. I kind of like like the color scheme now a little bit more once I see it kind of in the high definition uh, logos that the PLL put out. And, you know, I'm I'm really excited to see kind of long term. We were tweeting a little bit. I'm really excited to see what, what the gear looks like going forward. We haven't necessarily seen a helmet um, with one of those colors, and whether it's like a matte lavender or um, – I just think there's a lot of opportunities um, to go in a bunch of different routes um, with this because, you know, you, you, you think of um, the various helmets and you think of the Atlas helmet with uh, the bull horns on it. What, what could they do uh, on this helmet that would differentiate them a little bit? Um, I think there's a lot of cool things that they can do going forward, and the name's great. The logo is not my favorite, um, but you know it's honestly grown on me since the announcement, and I'm excited to see what they um, do going forward with the gear and, and everything else. Yeah, let's uh, touch on that logo sure. first, I guess, because I, I want to hit it kind of in, you know, in three parts. You know, you got the logo, the color scheme, and the name. Um, and unfortunately, I'm not a fan of really any of those three. Um, but I'll start off with the logo. I don't think it's bad. It's just a little too cartoonish for me, you know. It's like they tried to be a little intimidating with it, but it's also like a cartoonish bulldog. Um, it just doesn't really mesh well with these other logos um, to me, and I don't know. I just I'm not a fan. It's not an actual water dog either, and you know they chose a bulldog, um, so I don't know why they didn't go the route of actually choosing the breed of a, a water dog to be in that logo. Um, so I don't know. That to me was a little little. Uh, that, to me, was a little bit of a head-scratcher. Um, but I do get, you know, wanting to have dog in the logo. Like Paul mentioned, you get, you know, 200% more engagement on social media posts uh, on dog posts. Yeah. So I, I get that. And he, you know, he actually, in the Sports Illustrated article 
um, in his video explained, you know, their their whole strategy and process of going through developing this team name, this logo. And, you know, I really admire it. You know, they're very intentional with what they do. This wasn't just slapped on a piece of paper and, you know, put out there. They obviously took a lot of time getting this the way they wanted it to be. Um, I just don't think the execution was the right way. Like, I, I, again, like their logic of wanting to have a dog team. They mentioned that no professional sports team in the big four uses a dog as their main logo. So they really wanted to, you know, have a crack at that dog logo. And um, I just, you know, I'm not a fan. And it's, if you look at it, like, uh, compare it to, like, you know, the Charlotte Hounds logo, I think you have a bit of an intimidating dog. Um, you have the cool name, which we'll get to. Uh, and then, you know, I like the color scheme. It kind of matches, you know, the dog is, like, gold. And with this, it's, like, the purple to me. It's just, it doesn't fit. So I think it's maybe a combination of all things. I feel like if they would have hit on one of these aspects, I maybe would have liked it more. Um, but going off what you said with the color scheme, I like the purple as an accent color. I don't like it as the main logo. To me, it just it looks unfinished. It looks like they should have a, another color going with it. I know that it's black and purple. Um, you know, and as a, a Ravens fan, like that somewhat excites me. But I just think the lavender is kind of kind of off. And you know, I, I will reserve judgment till we see the uniforms and the helmets because that could really you know turn the tide for me. Um, and you know, and that's kind of how I felt with these original teams too. But I don't know. I it's it's kind of a combination of things. You know, I'm not a fan of the Water Dogs name. We've already established that. Um, and then you know, but they could have kind of won me over with the logo because again, I wasn't a fan of the Atlas name or the Chrome name. And I saw the logos and I was like, all right, well that's pretty cool. I can kind of get behind that. And they kind of grown on me. So I think the Water Dogs name will eventually grow on me. But the fact that the logo itself is kind of disappointing to me, and then the colors just they feel off. You know, I. I think of, when I think of water, I'm thinking of something blue. And I'm not saying, you know, go with a traditional navy and gold or, you know, or go with, like, you know, a red and blue like a lot of teams do. I respect them for picking an out-of-the-box color that hasn't been used. But I think you need something to kind of tie that all together. And I feel like they were trying to do too much. They were trying to be too unique in all three of these aspects and kind of threw it all together, and I just don't think it works together. That's my opinion. I don't know. What, what did you think? I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I think, like you said, I'm definitely going to hold judgment once I see the gear. Uh, I, I didn't say this. I, I hadn't thought about this, but a couple of days before, after Christmas, uh, Paul tweeted out uh, that he really loved the, the Trash Pandas logo from that's in uh, Minor League Baseball. And I that got me thinking. I almost assumed at that point that the, the leaked logo, the Water Dogs logo, was going to be the name. Um, across minor league sports, especially in minor league baseball, you've seen a lot of those two-name teams come about recently and how successful uh, that team um, has been when it comes to the merchandise sales. A name like Water Dogs was kind of something I was expecting it to be based off of that comparative to Grit uh, or Stones, which Paul mentioned that he really liked in, in his State of the League. But going off of that, you mentioned the, the minor league teams. It works really well because you have a lot of these minor league teams that sometimes they're the actual names that, of the major league affiliates. And so a lot of these teams are going in and rebranding. And I respect that, like the Trash Pandas. But if you're setting yourself up to be a professional league, that's where I would throw caution uh, you know, at going the route of a Trash Pandas. But to me, it's, again, like the execution of it all. Um, I feel like if, you know, the dog was like a gold or, uh, you know, a brownish and then maybe you had like a, a teal or, you know, a, a navy blue, um, you know, not to, again, to bring up the Charlotte Hounds, but that would kind of make more sense to me. Or even you, you had the dog be black. I don't know, so, something, um, something a little bit more put together. It felt like they had all these ingredients that they really wanted to incorporate in this team name and logo and they kind of forced them all together whether they worked or not. So that's my, my opinion on it. You know, we won't dwell on it too much. Um, again, like I like the color purple. I just don't think it works really well with the Water Dogs name and the logo sure. that they have. I'll, I'll just end with this. I know some people are saying the name's a little absurd, but I went it, like over the top a little bit like you were talking about. But I, I'll say this, you know, um, it's a, the longer names out there, the more connected, the more synonymous with a league, a franchise, uh, it's not going to feel as odd. And, and I'll say this, if the Boston Red Sox weren't a team 
How would you really think the name Red Sox or White Sox is not any odder than Water Dog? Like an inanimate object is is no, a yeah, better a name than than Water Dog. So like that that's just something to to think about too. It's new still, um, so I think that that newness may may kind of be adding to people's curiosity or uh, distaste in the name thus far. Yep. No, I, I agree. You know that that that's a good point. Um, you know yeah. I, that's how I felt about the Atlas. And the Whip Snakes and the Chrome, and they all grew on me. And, you know, I enjoy those names now, and they're unique. Um, but the thing that kind of helped me get over that n- initial timidness of the name, I think, was the logo. And that's what's kind of holding me back from liking this more than I do, is I'm not a fan of the logo. So we'll see. But moving on from the logo and the name, we have some more news related to the Water Dogs Lacrosse Club. Shortly after uh, the news that the team was going to be the Water Dogs, we also got the announcement that uh, Andy Copeland was being hired as the Water Dogs head coach, uh, the inaugural coach of that expansion team. Uh, he previously coached at Fairfield for over 10 years um, and was an assistant with Maryland prior to that. Um, he recently stepped down as Fairfield's head coach uh, this summer. Uh, he now coaches high school at Greenwich Country Day School. So he obviously has more time uh, now to coach during the summer, um, and I think he's a great hire. You know, He's got a lot of experience. Um, you know, being with a program like Fairfield that's not, you know, a national powerhouse, uh, he's probably had to work with a little bit less. So I think he might be the perfect choice to really build a team from the ground up. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing him and see how he drafts in February. But with that, let's move on to a big segment that we're both excited about. We're going to talk about our favorite pro lacrosse moments from the past decade. Uh, we put out an article on this um, that you guys can read. Uh, we had a lot of help from a lot of people in the lacrosse media that we want to thank. Um, Too many to name right now, but you guys can all see them on the article itself. We really appreciate everybody that contributed to this list. Uh, We went year by year, so on our podcast we'll do a little bit of a teaser and go year by year with our favorite moments. So why don't you start with 2010, Adam? Big one in 2010, Casey Powell becomes the first and only American to ever win NLL MVP. Yeah, no, and he is still the only one to this day to have won that award as an American. Um, and moving on to that, 2011, we have the Boston Cannons and Bill Day win their first MLL championship. Uh, they have not won one since, and that was actually Bill Day's last year as the Cannons head coach. He was a goalie with them uh, for their first two seasons. Career was shortened by injury, but then he became an assistant and eventually head coach in 2006. Um, and, you know, he went out on top winning their, their first franchise's first championship, and that was also... Paul Rabel's MVP season and his first MLL championship as well. Moving on to 2012, back to the NLL, John Grant Jr. broke the single-season scoring record in the National Lacrosse League when he recorded a whopping 116 points for the Colorado Mammoth. So, unbelievable season from Jr. and continues uh, his reign as the official GOAT, as our tease on Design Tree have stated. Yeah, and John Grant Jr. is going to be a theme on this list. Uh, in 2013, he won the MLL Finals with the Bayhawks uh, and was named MVP. The Bayhawks won their third title in four years. And not to be outdone with the Bayhawks, John Grant Jr. came back the next year with the Outlaws to help them win their first championship and start their dynasty as Jr. became the first player to win back-to-back MVPs in the league. And he's currently the only player to win two Finals MVPs. I was also the same year the Rochester Nighthawks won their third consecutive NLL championship. Uh, you know, we talked to Micah Kersey, who was on those teams. Um, we really don't know if we'll ever see a team win three in a row uh, for a long while like that. Moving on to 2015, the women's game finally got professional lacrosse. It was the United Women's Lacrosse League, or UWLX, uh, that was founded, marking the first time pro women's lacrosse was played. You know, we talked to Dana Doby um, about how you know monumental that was for her, having you know played in college and then not had anywhere other than playing internationally uh, you know, for her home country of Canada to really play. Um, and to have that professional league come about was huge. Um, and the league you know, started out as composed of four teams, the Baltimore Ride, Boston Storm, Long Island Sound, and Philadelphia Force. And uh, that league, unfortunately, would fold because the WPLL was started uh, in 2018. Um, but you know, it was really the forerunner of women's professional lacrosse. And women's professional lacrosse continues to grow each year. 
Moving on to 2016, we referenced the Outlaws already, um, but they won their second MLL championship and the greatest comeback in MLL playoff history. The Ohio Machine led at halftime 14-7, to but the Outlaws came back to win on an Eric Law uh, game winner with just 13 seconds left in the game to defeat the Machine 19-18. to Yeah, no, the Machine lose a heartbreaker, but fortunately for Bear Davis's squad, they would get their revenge against the Outlaws in the 2017 championship and win their franchise's first and only title. But also in 2017, we had the Swarm win their franchise's first title, um, and it was an overtime thriller. We talked to both Lyle and Randy Stotts about this one. Um, of course, you know they had that late last-second goal uh, that would force overtime against the Rush in Game 2, and then it was Lyle who would find Miles for the game winner. Um, the unique thing about this one was that all four Thompson brothers played in this finals. You had Jerome, Lyle, and Miles on the Swarm, and then Jeremy on the Rush. We talked a little bit uh, about dynasties. The Rush continued their own dynasty, winning their third championship in their fourth straight appearance uh, in the championship, and the Outlaws won their third title in what would be their sixth appearance at the end of the decade. Yeah, no, so you know, a lot of dynasties in this decade. Um, and to wrap up in 2019, you know, I wanted to go with John Grant Jr.'s return and breaking you know, the MLL scoring record, but who could forget Matt Rambo's overtime winner in his hometown of Philly for the PLL Whip Snakes in that inaugural championship. And there was a lot of great moments in 2019. We put out a separate article on the best stories from 2019, so be sure to check that out on our website as well. A lot of great stories from this year in both the NLL, WPLL, PLL, and MLL. So uh, overall, a monumental year for pro lacrosse and a monumental decade um, that is coming to a close, but uh, you know we're looking forward to this decade going forward, and uh, we're hoping to cover it you know, for you guys. So be sure to check out those articles on prolacrosstalk.com. Uh, we also have a lot of perspective pieces from members of the media. We have Teddy Jenner talking about Paul Rabel's overtime game winner uh, for the Stealth in 2010. You have Devin Caney talking about Reese Dutch's overtime goal in the NLL championship in 2019. That would give the Roughnecks th- third championship. So overall, a lot of great moments. Uh, that we wanted to highlight, and we just can't do them all in the podcast, so that's why we put them out in article form. Um, so you guys can check those out, uh, but let's now take a break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get into our NLL game recaps. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today. All right, so welcome back. Let's go to some NLL around the league. Uh, there's two teams I want to talk about specifically, Adam, um, that have shown that they are the teams to beat right now, the two undefeateds, the Black Wolves and the Thunderbirds. Let's start with the Black Wolves. They dominated the Riptide on Friday night. Um, after going down 0-2 to start and looking very complacent on offense for the first 10 minutes, they went on a tear, scoring 11 straight before the Riptide finally stopped the bleeding. And it was a record-setting night for New England, as Joe Reseteris surpassed 400 career points, Calum Crawford notched his 1,000th career point after recording a 14-point night, um, and Riley O'Connor and Andrew Q both had huge nights as well. So it was a dominant performance by the Black Wolves. Um, and I have to ask you, Adam, are the Black Wolves that good, or are the Riptide that bad? What do you think? And a lot of times on this podcast, I tend to be in the middle of things. I don't think things are that black and white. I do think the Black Wolves are are playing much better than I think a lot of us had expected to coming into this season. Um, But I do think the Riptide are are still kind of working through those growing pains. But when you have a guy like Callum Crawford who 
had a 14-point night, only three points off of uh, the NLL record for points in a game. Uh, when you have veteran leadership like that, when you have young guys like Andrew Q really stepping up, um, I, I think it's probably more the Black Wolves are that successful and that dominant in comparison to the Riptide being bad, but I do think it's a little bit uh, of both. And, you know, I, I think we'll see what happens this coming week when we talk about the Riptide's next game, but I do think the Black Wolves are a lot more dominant than most, most experts were expecting. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, they, they've proven, you know, they beat two tough teams on the road to start 2-0 and and then... Um, you know, you got their third win at home against the Riptide, and, you know, I don't think the, the Riptide are that as competitive as the other two teams they faced, but they dominated them, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think they're the team to beat right now, and this East is really shaping up to be very interesting. Yeah, you know, speaking of teams that got off to a hotter start uh, than most expected, uh, the Thunderbirds against Buffalo w- was pretty phenomenal. Ironically, we talked about how New England went down 2-0 early. Uh, so did the Thunderbirds, but they responded with four goals. Uh, a four-goal run of their own. You know, Cody Jamison continuing his dominance, got the ball rolling, and continued uh, a really strong season thus far with five points on the night. Uh, We talked in past pods uh, about draws, and Jake Weathers continued to excel, winning 22 of 28 on this one. And uh, it was a trend we saw all weekend. You know, seven of the eight victories were won by teams that led the draw control category. So it it has to bring up the conversation. Are those draws, are those face-off as important of a statistic as uh, some are leading on. Yeah, no, I, I think an interesting thing that um, Adam Levy put out before week five, of the top performing teams that had the highest face-off percentage, they were two and three. And of the ones that were the lowest, they were three and two. And I think, it, you know, Graham Perot also had a piece on it. He looked at like a whole ten years of statistics on whether face-offs mattered, and it really seemed like the face-off itself didn't really lend that big of an impact on whether a team won or not. That being said, though, I think the way we view the face-offs is kind of dated right now. And, you know, we talk about how analytics is really changing sports, you know, whether it's baseball, football, um, you know, and even lacrosse. Um, I think what we really need is a new stat, and that's goals scored off of a face-off win possession. And what I mean by that is, you know, we talk about a player's individual performance winning faceoffs. Obviously, Jake Withers did a lot for his team winning 22 of 28, but how many of those faceoff wins turned into goals? We don't know. You know, we, we don't keep track of that. Um, you know, he may have won 22, and all 22 of his wins turned into goals off that first possession. We don't know. Um, but I, I use an example of Max Adler, who shattered the MLL um, record for faceoff percentage with winning 23 or 24 this past summer for the MLL and his team ended up losing that game so I think the the point is um, you can have a dominant face-off guy but obviously you have to do something with that possession and I think you know it's obviously going to be a hard statistic to keep track of but that would be something that we could keep track of of teams is you know are these face-off wins leading to goals off the possession so if a Jake Withers wins the face-off is Cody Jamison scoring in that first possession, or are they you know, turning the ball over and then maybe they get it back and score? And that happens a lot in the NLL, a lot more than the field game, where you see teams go up and down the field and they get goals on transition. I mean, it happens in both versions of the sport, but I think that's why you see less of an impact in box lacrosse than in field lacrosse. So I don't know, that, that's my suggestion. I don't know, maybe you know, our buddy at Winston Analytica, um, you know, at LAX All-Stars, can maybe look into that for us. But um, I think that's a new stat that we need to start maybe talking about, having a conversation about is goals scored off of a face-off win. Um, you know, and again, it's it'd be a lot to keep track of. Uh, I definitely don't want the job of doing that, but that is something that I think we need to start looking at if we want to really have a serious conversation about whether face-offs matter. But uh, yeah, no, uh, back to the Thunderbirds. They're, again, looking like the team to beat. And, you know, the Swarm are right up there. They're a lot of people's favorite. They're my pick still to win the East. Um, and, you know, let's talk about this game where they looked like they were going to pull out another win. They were had the offensive firepower was there. Um, but the Mammoth end up, you know, stinging the Swarm. And I think it was a first true test for the Swarm. Um, and, again, I don't think they played bad. I just think the Mammoth elevated their game and, you know, really took it to them. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a close matchup until that fourth quarter where the uh, the Mammoth outscored Georgia 5-1 to one in that fourth quarter. You know, both goalies showed out. Dylan Ward ended with 40 saves and in the W, and Mike Poulin had 32 saves admirably despite the loss. So um, the Mammoth had a lot of guys uh, show out. Ryan Lee and Jacob Rue combined for 15 points on the night. And, you know, one thing that really stuck out to me in this victory was these were the types of games last year that Colorado lost, right? Um, they made the playoffs, but they were losing a lot of those, those close games. Um, they tended to lose these last year, and so far this year, they have two big road victories. Getting those victories early in the season are what kind of propel you to later success. So um, good looking out as the Mammoth get that big victory. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, it was a tough loss for this Swarm team and a big one for the Mammoth because that West is competitive and uh, they look like they can, you know, really cement themselves at the top. Um, you know, that that win against Calgary was big. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I think the Mammoth are a, a solid team and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of parity in this league. All the teams, you know, have really showed periods of greatness uh, throughout this season, uh, with the, you know the exception of a few. But uh, another team in this crowded East. You know, we thought the East might be the, the weakest of the divisions, um, is the Wings. And they traveled to Calgary, and they knocked off the Roughnecks thanks to a last-second goal by Matt Rambo with just under two seconds on the clock. Yeah, the Wings uh, got the, the big victory on the road, but, you know, uh, the big story uh, of the night was the penalty uh, assessed to Calgary uh, for the delay of game. They were traveling um, back from San Diego, um, and they actually ended up getting an uh, early delay of game penalty because they forced the game to start uh, over a half hour late, and ironically, the Wings did score on that uh, penalty. Yeah, no, and I, I think what hurt them even more, though, was just, you know, they, they were sluggish, um, and I I think it's a valiant effort. Having to play a game Friday night, and then play another game Saturday night is not fair. You know, it really isn't. Um, the scheduling committee should have done a better job. And the whole travel thing kind of actually came about, though, because the Roughnecks decided to actually take a later flight. It was the choice between taking a 6 a.m. flight Saturday morning, you know, after playing a game in San Diego. Um, so it was either, you know, wake up early, 6 a.m. flight, or take an 8 p.m. direct flight to Calgary, which they chose to do. Um, so that was the reason for the delay. Um, you know, and I think, you know, it, it, it affected them in this game. I just think it's tough. You know, that's why I picked the wings in this game because I, I knew they were going to come off a back to back and it's just tough to win back to back with that short of rest, um, having to travel as well. You know, it'd been one thing if they had two home games, but they didn't. So, um, really schedule, not kind to the roughnecks. They're two and two now. Curtis Dixon, you know, he had his 400th goal of his career in the game. Uh, his 399th goal was actually the more impressive one, though. He went full Superman. Uh, you know, that's how he earned that nickname, um, diving across the crease to score that 399th. But then he got his 400th as well. Um, and you mentioned, too, Adam, that uh, Delby Anko had a great day in cage. Absolutely. You know, it, it played really well despite the loss. And a crazy statistic, he has two losses on, on, under his belt already, but he's only let up eight goals in those two losses. So can't mu do much more for in, in cage when it comes to Del Bianco. He, he played valiantly uh, despite these two close losses for the Roughnecks. Yeah, no, you, you think if you hold a team to eight goals or less, uh, you should win. Um, but, you know, that's uh, obviously hasn't been the case for the Roughnecks. Um, and that offense has had some struggles, you know, without Dane Doby, and then we hope Jesse King is healthy. Uh, he took a nasty crash into the wall in that game. Um, haven't heard any update on him just yet, but hopefully he'll be back for the Roughnecks next game. Um, but, yeah, you know, overall it's a little looking a little dismal for the Roughnecks. I think they'll still be fine. You know, they didn't have that great of a season to start last year. Um, kind of came on strong late in the season, so still plenty of time. Uh, but with that, we have a fun segment since it is. 2020, time usually to make our New Year's resolutions. We're going to do some NLL resolutions. So the first one we have is a common New Year's resolution, and that is to get in shape. So, Adam, we have two teams that we think really need to get in shape. We have the Riptide and the Nighthawks. How do you think that they can really kind of come together and put some wins together in their inaugural seasons? Yeah, you know, when it comes to that resolution, I think sometimes uh, when it comes to getting in shape, people kind of don't see uh, the long term. 
right? They, they go to the gym a couple times, right? They, they work out. They're not maybe seeing the results uh, this early on in the process. But for, for two expansion franchises like the Nighthawks, I think they need to play the long game. They need to continue to play the young guys. You know, Connor Kelly is balling right now for, for the Riptide. They, they need to keep molding, keep meshing with one another. And, and it just takes time. You know, the, there aren't many franchises um, that have had really, really strong success in their initial season in the NLL, um, and that shows that that just shows how strong uh, of cultures teams tend to build in, in the National Lacrosse League. So I think for the Riptide and Nighthawks, they need to take the long view. They need to kind of take their licks right now. Um, they may be winded right uh, on the treadmill a little bit right now, but if they take the long view, uh, they'll be able to see those results long term. No, I agree completely. I think you know if they have a little bit of patience. Uh, the progress is coming. I mean, you can see, I think that they look better in each game that they've played, particularly the Nighthawks. They really gave the Rock a good game, so um, I agree with you. Patience um, and in time, you know, progress will come. So another common New Year's resolution, though, is uh, to live life to the fullest. For us, that means play to their potential. And we have two teams that we have in mind that really aren't playing to their potential. I think one of them, uh, you know, Vancouver, kind of went in with, you know, moderate expectations. And I think, though, with that talent that they really put on that roster, I think they could be better. You know, right now they're 1-2. I think they played fine, but, you know, I think they just need to squeak out some of these wins. Obviously, they lost a heartbreaker to the San Diego Seals this past weekend. Um, but I think, you know, if they really put their trust in their big offensive guys like Logan Schuss and Mitch Jones, uh, they can really put it together and play to their potential. And then the other one, you know, we talked about is the Bandits. So how do you think the Bandits can kind of put it together? They're only one and one, but so far, you know, not looking too great. They they still have time to turn. You know, I think the Bandits still have think, time to turn things around a little bit. You know, we, we saw um, arguably one of the best goalies of all time and Matt Vince get pulled uh, this week um, in, in this game, and that's something that you, you don't see very often from a, a pro like him. Um, I, I think they just need to get some continued success from, from guys in cage like Matt Vince, uh, Dane Smith, and some of their other offensive uh, guys might need to pick it up a little bit. Um, but just play together. You know, they got to the championship last year by having strong competition, playing strong competition, and playing a, as a connected team. So um, just go out there, enjoy themselves a little bit, and, and they'll get back to their, their usual ways. No, I agree completely. And then our final one is a lot of people talk about learning a new skill. And to me, that translates to adding a player. And there's two teams that are missing some key offensive weapons right now, um, and that's the Seals and the Roughnecks. Uh, I'll start with the Seals. Austin Stotts hopefully will get healthy and come back. He had a phenomenal rookie season last year. Unfortunately, was cut short due to injury uh, right before their final two games of the regular season and heading into the playoffs. So I think if he gets healthy, along with Casey Jackson who was also one of their leading scorers last year, I think the Seals' offense will really come together, and I think they can uh, really put it together. Because right now, you know, they're 1-3. and three. Um, You know, they luckily got that, that first victory uh, in overtime against the Warriors, but they really haven't looked all together. So I think adding those two pieces, uh, learning those new skills per se, will help them uh, as the season goes along. Yeah, and, you know, when it comes to... Uh, Calgary, there's a pretty obvious skill that's missing on the one side of the floor, and that and that's Dane Doby, right? Um, I think despite Curtis Dixon getting his 400th goal of his career this year, uh, that offense is really missing the the former MVP's presence, right? And he'll be back in a few weeks, and um, he'll definitely uh, be a welcomed addition to that Roughnecks team, who, like we saw this week, uh, was really struggling to get that offense going with only scoring seven against. Uh, a, a wing squad that um, was not holding squads to that many. Um, getting those two t players back, adding those skills to the San Diego and Calgary squads will definitely be a welcome uh, for the 2020 year. Yep, absolutely. So those are our NLL resolutions. Uh, if you have any more that you think we should throw out there, uh, feel free to let us know, uh, tweet at us. But uh, yeah, those are our NLL resolutions for the season, and hopefully you know these teams listen to us a little bit. Um, but with that... Let's move on to our NLL Fantasy Lacrosse Pick'em. We had another great week. Um, obviously, this was the first time we had all 13 teams playing, um, and you know some teams had multiple games, so you had a lot to choose from. So let's discuss the top performers in Fantasy Lacrosse this week. Uh, if you picked any of the Black Wolves players, he had a big day. Callum Crawford set a Fantasy Lacrosse record for a floor player with 14.75 points this week. Uh, obviously, he had a big 
uh, day, you know, getting his 1,000th career point as well. Um, and then Riley O'Connor also had a good day with 8.75 points. Um, and then on other teams across the league, Jesse King had 11 points versus the Seals uh, in their first game of the weekend. And then Mitch Jones, again, on a tear when it comes to fantasy, had 9.75 points uh, in their game against the Seals. And then moving on to transition and defense, uh, Jake Withers had 6.5 points thanks to 22 loose balls and an assist. Brad Cree had 6.25 points. Zach Courier also had 6.25 points um, for game one against the Seals. And uh, he's pretty much a lock to start every game. You know, he's pretty much averaged around five or six points a game in terms of fantasy. But the man, the myth, the legend who had the highest total of a defensive or transition player was Brody Merrill, who had three points, including the game winner, two calls turnovers, and 13 ground balls for 8.25 fantasy points in game two versus the Vancouver Warriors. And then rounding out your top performers at, in cage, you had Zach Higgins with 10.5 points, Evan Kirk, who only gave up four goals on the day, had 10.25 points, and then Del Bianco had 10 in the Roughnecks game against Philly, and Scigliano had 10 in their game against the Warriors. And in terms of our fantasy lacrosse locks, Adam, you picked Mark Matthews last week for your epic fantasy lacrosse lock. Uh, he had 7.25 points, so a really solid day for him. And then my epic lacrosse fantasy lock was Dan Dawson, who had 7.5. So both our locks hit this week. Uh, hopefully you guys listened to us and you picked them for your squad. Uh, but heading into week six, Adam, who is your epic lacrosse fantasy lock? You know, we only have two games to pick from uh, this weekend, and looking at all four rosters, I'm going to have to go with the big cat, Kevin Crawley, um, on the wings. You know, despite the wings not breaking double digits and goals uh, this season, scoring six in their first contest uh, and eight this past weekend uh, in Calgary, I think going against a riptide squad um, will be the best medicine for that Philly offense going forward, and I think Crawley will definitely be the benefactor. Um, despite it being an away game, it's going to be a short trip um, uh, up to New York for Philly. So I'm going to have to take Big Cat in this one, having a big day. All right, and I'm going to go on the defensive side and take Matt Beers with the Warriors. Uh, and he's one of the best defenders in terms of fantasy production. Uh, you know, obviously he's a great defender in the league, but that doesn't always translate to fantasy production. But, you know, he gets goals. He gets a lot of loose balls. Um, and obviously, you know, he'll have at least one or two cause turnovers a game. So he is my epic lacrosse fantasy lock of this week. Lock it down. All right, so those are our Epic Lacrosse Fantasy Locks. Let us know your lock by tweeting us your pick and using the hashtag Epic Lacrosse Fantasy Lock. Uh, with that, we'll go to a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get into our game picks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today. All right, welcome back. So now we have our game picks. We only have two to make. Um, before we do that, I want to gloat a little bit because I went 8-0 on the weekend. We had eight games. I hit all eight of them. Uh, thank you, Brody Merrill, you know, for scoring that overtime game winner with the Seals. Uh, and that actually helped me win Who You Got, which is Lacrosse Classified's uh, game that they play each week. So a huge thank you to them uh, for putting that on each week. Um, and you know, hopefully I, I can win it again and continue my success. I also want to remind people, on the show last week, I did predict that Brody Merrill was going to have a big game for the Seals, and sure enough, he had the overtime game winner, so let's take a listen to what I said last week. I'm going Seals. Um, you know, I, I think they've kind of, you know, had a few disappointing 
games so far. I think they're they're definitely missing you know some big guys, uh, but I think the Warriors is a good matchup for them to kind of get back on track. Uh, and you know I, I like the veteran himself, Brody Merrill, to really have a, a big day in this one. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna gloat a little bit. I went eight and zero. You went three and five, Adam. You took a took a rough weekend. You should have known that was coming, right? With the rough, I picked rough necks over wings, and I had a rough weekend. So uh, I we literally uh, I was zero for five against the games we we picked different. So um, I'm eleven and nine. You're fifteen and five going in into these two games. So don't think uh, week six is going to be the week for me to make up um, much room. But we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, like you said, you got to just take it in stride and uh, be patient with your progress. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll keep making some winning picks, so you have a lot of ground to make up. We talked about the guys at Lacrosse Classified, Jake Elliott and Evan Schemenauer, uh, two great guys. If you guys don't listen to their podcast, uh, you should because they really do a deep dive into the NLL season. Um, you know, obviously we talk about the NLL as well. I think those guys are pros at it. Uh, you know, I know you listen to them every week, Adam. I listen to them every week. Um, and Evan's brother, Ryan actually won our fantasy lacrosse pick'em in week four. So it was a nice little chain of events where uh, me from our podcast, you know, won their contest, and then, you know, a relative of theirs won our contest. So No nepotism, uh, though. No nepotism. No nepotism. Yes, exactly. We make picks like everybody else, you know. You can look at our fantasy lacrosse record right now. We're not doing so hot. So, you know, we, we pick like you guys. We don't, we don't cheat the system. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was a nice little thing. So, uh, again, shout-out to those guys at Lacrosse Classified. Um, and thank you again for putting on who you got. And I will, I will gloat in this victory. Uh, but now let's pick again. Uh, you got, like you said, two games this week. Uh, the Wings at the Riptide are our first one, Adam. Who do you like in this one? I'm going to take the Wings in this one. I have Kevin Crawley um, coming up big, like I said, in, in my fantasy lock. Um, I think this Wing squad uh, is on the uptick after a, a big victory in Calgary. And I'm going to go Wings. All right, yeah. No, I, um, I think the Wings... Had a solid game last weekend, but I'm actually going to pick the Riptide. I think the Riptide have progressed in their four games. Uh, they're going to be back at home. Um, I don't know. I think I'm expecting a little bit of a, a late second win hangover for the Wings in this game. Uh, you know, you have the New York-Philadelphia rivalry, so I think the Long Island squad is going to get up for this one, and I think the Riptide get their first win against the Wings. All right. I think I think that uh, 8-0 is going to your head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our, our final game, we have the Warriors at the Mammoth. Uh, this should be a, also another one, another, you know, kind of regional rivalry with the Warriors being in Vancouver and the Mammoth being Colorado. So, Adam, who are you picking in this one? You know, this one was one I w- was struggling going back and forth. You know, the Mammoth had got that big win this past weekend against the Swarm. Um, but, you know, and the Warriors kind of fell late to an OT. Uh, I think despite having to travel to Colorado, uh, I'm going to pick Warriors in this one. Um, I think Keegan Ball, we talked about Logan Schuster and uh, Mitch Jones a lot thus far this season, but Keegan Ball has been balling, and I think he's going to come up big uh, for this Warriors squad, and they're going to get back uh, in the win column and, and get that, I guess you could say, upset against the Mammoth. All right, I'm going Mammoth. Uh, you know, I think they've really shown their top top team um, in all three of their games, even their loss against the Rush. Um, so I really expect them to you know, come out strong in the Loud House, and I think they're going to get the victory. But I do think it's going to be a close game because, like I said, the Warriors, I think, have the talent to really put it together. But, um, and, you know, and obviously Matt Beers is my epic lacrosse fantasy lock. But I just think the Mammoth uh, have been playing too well. And, again, Dylan Ward has just been a brick wall in cage, uh, and he shows no signs of letting up. So I'm picking the Mammoth in this one. We have both different picks. So it should be a, a big swing, whoever ends up winning. I'm either going to be closer or really in the hole. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, for sure. But uh, we'll, we'll find out this weekend. Um, but that really wraps up our, our podcast. It's our first of the new year. Um, we really uh, want to recap our first year of Pro Lacrosse Talk. Uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Um, you know, we started this podcast back in the spring. Uh, we just talked about I remember we always talked about wanting to do something in the lacrosse space. Obviously, me and you both played at them. Um, and we both were communications majors, so we really wanted to kind of, I don't know, leave our stamp on the world of lacrosse, and we thought pro lacrosse isn't being covered enough, um, and there's no really, you know, prime source for pro lacrosse. You have a lot of sources that are great that cover either one league or they cover all aspects of lacrosse, so we really wanted to be, 
you know, that resource. And we hope you guys have really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know, some of my favorite moments, I think when we went to Baltimore together, um, you know, it was a, a great time. Um, it was nice. You know, you, you were actually working the clock. I was also in the press box. Uh, you know, it, it was a good game we saw, too, with the Chaos and the Archers. We got to interview Will Manny and uh, Blaze Reardon after the game. Um, and that was really, like, the start. I feel like we were really, you know, on the cusp of uh, something big, uh, you know, and you know, not to say that we're, we're there yet, but, you know, we have big plans for this podcast going forward. But uh, what was your favorite moment? Yeah, you know, that, that weekend in Baltimore, especially living here now, um, is really going to leave an indelible memory for me. Um, hoping the PLL heads back to Homewood next summer uh, so we can get to do it all over again. But, you know, I think another big part for me um, was not only growing professional lacrosse as a whole, um, but really spreading word for the pro women's game. Um, we started out, Kylie Olmiller was our first interview we, we ever did and couldn't think of a, a better person uh, to start our interview thread with. Um, looking forward to kind of growing growing the women's game uh, with WPLL, um, and that was definitely a highlight for me. And I hope, you know, uh, room to grow, some resolutions for us is even more coverage uh, of the WPLL and women's game overall. Yeah, I know that's a big, you know, point of emphasis for us, and I feel like we, we, we did a lot, but we could do a lot more. Um, and, again, I just want to thank these players and coaches for really, you know, giving their time. And, you know, we treat this as, like, another job for us. Even though it's, you know, really more of a passion project, we try to have professionalism uh, in our interviews and, you know, when attending games. And I think, you know, the players and coaches really treated us like professionals, and I really appreciate them for doing that. You know, they gave us a chance. They talked to us. Um, you know, they really treated us like we were important, and, you know, we were just starting out. They didn't have to do that. And um, so I really want to thank them for really giving them the time and letting us tell their story because that's what it's all about, you know. We started this out, us, you know, just kind of you know, shooting back and forth talking about these games. And then when we started to get these athletes, it really dawned on me that we had a, a platform that we could really get their story out because we know a lot about these guys on the field. And I think you and I have talked about we're interested in learning about them off the field as well. I mean, that's why we do our five and five segment to really learn about them as a person. And hopefully they've enjoyed it too. So again, shout out to all our guests. Uh, again, thank you guys for coming on. And we look forward to having, you know, guests return as well as some new guests come on the show, uh, whether they be coaches, players, executives in the league. Um, you know, we've had some fellow content creators as well, like Diggs Tape and Kicks by Carly. Um, so we want to keep it going for 2020. And if you guys have any feedback, again, let us know. We, we always appreciate your feedback. And, uh, we look forward to building Pro Lacrosse Talk as a brand uh, with you guys. And that being said, we have opportunities to write. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, that probably means you're pretty dedicated to the professional game. Um, so we want to extend, you know, if you feel like you have the writing abilities uh, to write for our site, please let us know. You know, we've had guys like Dan Arestia and Jordan Johnson recently write for us. Um, and we really appreciate you guys writing because we really want to get the content out there that this sport deserves. Um, but we can't do it alone. So if you guys feel like you can write well, um, send us some writing samples. You can email us at prolacrosstalk at gmail.com or, you know, fill out the contact form on our website as well. Um, but, yeah, reach out, you know, and if you have other ideas for content as well, if you, you're more of a video editor or, um, you know, you have other ideas that we can do, like pursue, we appreciate that. So please reach out, let us know. Um, some other guys, too, I want to mention that really helped us out, uh, you know, Tom Walton doing some video work for us as well as Matthew Curtis, you know, doing the Instagram for us as well. Um, you guys, you know, are a huge help. And then, you know, we had some other writers like Tim Barry, Mary Alexis Jackson, and Mike Kooten, who wrote for us as well. So, you know, you guys were a part of this. Um, you know, it wasn't just me and Adam. We had a lot of help along the way. So if there's anybody else I forgot to mention, uh, I apologize, but we appreciate your help as well. With that, let's tease what we have coming up. I know we've been teasing it for a little while, but we have our interview with Denver Outlaws goalie, Kai Iomoto, uh, you know, he's our first Japanese-born player that we are having on the show, uh, as well as Cannes Attackman Mark Cockerton. Those are the two interviews that we have coming up pretty soon. Um, and then, you know, we want to remind people to check out our Design Tree store. We have a lot of designs on there. We have more coming in 2020. Um, some really good ones that I think me and you came up with, Adam. Yeah. Um, so we're going to release those, uh, you know, kind of one at a time so that we don't, you know, overwhelm you with our awesome designs. But, uh... <laughs> You know, there's a lot of great designs on Design Tree that aren't even ours 
too. So check out, if, especially if you're a Philly fan, uh, you have to check out Design Tree. I will say, uh, as a Philly fan you discussed, we, the Eagles have not lost since we got a branch on Design Tree, so shout out to, to our boys over there. Hopefully keep that going this weekend uh, against the Seahawks. Yeah, no, Drew Smith and the boys at Design Tree have really hooked us up. Um, we really appreciate their help. Uh, and we look forward, and, you know, we're, we're, we have plans to meet with them uh, soon, too, in person. And, you know, and maybe, you know, go to some Philly sporting events. I know, Adam, you're a big Philly fan. I personally am a Baltimore guy, but I'm about to marry a Philly girl. So, you know, might as well, you know, get a little bit of uh, Philly sports in me. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, to meeting those guys. And, again, check out their podcast, too. They have The Treehouse, uh, which I think it's on their third episode now recently uh, launched and uh, you know they talk all things Philly sports so again if, if you're a Philly sports fan we can't plug Design Tree enough. So with that Adam that brings us to our overtime segment. Uh, this time we're going to do some bold predictions both for 2020 as well as for the coming decade. Um, so my bold prediction for 2020 is that the WPLL will have another successful year. Um, they'll maybe add some games to their schedule and I also think at the end of the season, we're going to see a little bit of what we saw with the PLL, and I think they'll maybe introduce a sixth team because there's way too much talent in this league right now, and I think they're going to have another great season. So that's my 2019 prediction. Um, but then my bold prediction for the decade uh, is actually going to be related to the Water Dogs. Um, I think the Water Dogs' name is here to stay, but I think they will change their logo at the end of this decade. Oh man! All right, I, you're you're hitting hitting that water dogs hard. You know, my, that it's perfect though. My 2020 uh, prediction, I guess it'll be twofold now, right? Uh, first part uh, will be you're actually going to come around to the water dogs logo after they drop their merch coming up um, and their gear uh, this coming season. And um, my bold prediction on top of that is I think they're going to make the playoffs um, as an expansion franchise. There's too much talent that's going to be dropped from uh, the rosters. One that they're going to select from. Um, uh, and then also there was so much talent in, in the player pool um, and the draft coming up this year that I think uh, they are going to have everything they need to make a playoff run potentially uh, in this 2019 season. And for my decade bowl prediction, um, we talked uh, to Nick Sakevich about the growth of the NLL. They're going to have uh, more expansion franchises coming in over the next few years. And I'm, I'm going to say they're going to have success um, just as one of Nick's former um, employers has. Uh, and they're going to be on par when it comes to uh, the expansion rate as the MLS has. And I think with the continued uh, success uh, of these expansion franchises, uh, the growth is going to be exponential. And I think they're, they're going to have really strong success just as uh, the growth of the MLS had, has had this past decade. All right, I like it. Those are some bold predictions. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll look forward to them coming true. Maybe not you so much with the logo, um, <laughs> but that was my fun one. Um, and, you know, I, I'm with you on the NLL. I really think, you know, they're going to they're gonna really increase. I, I think they'll get to I, – I, I want to be bold with this. I think they'll get to 20 teams by the end of this decade. I mean, we already know that we'll be at, what, 16 by, within three years. So that leaves them seven years to add, uh, you know, six more. Um, you know, it's ambitious. And you don't want to grow too quickly, but I really think, you know, with the rise of box lacrosse in the U.S., um, you know, and obviously it's huge in Canada, I think that you're going to see a lot of youth, you know, coming in to the league prepared to play the box game. There's not going to be that much of a learning curve for these guys. You know, I think you're going to have a lot of guys like, you know, Tom Schreiber really step into a role right away, um, you know, as we go forward. So that, 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 that's my bold prediction as well uh, going off of that. Um, those are our bold predictions, 2020. And the new decade, uh, we appreciate you guys listening. This has been our first episode of 2020. Won't be our last. Uh, we look forward to you know bringing you all the pro lacrosse coverage that you can ask for in 2020. Um, that wraps up episode 52. Thank you guys all for listening. Please subscribe and consider leaving us a review. And we hope you tune in next time to Pro Lacrosse Talk.